2: And welcome back to the scorecard presented by Chicago District Golfer Magazine on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The score. Barry Cronin, Mike Esposito here with you every Saturday morning. Welcome into hour two. And uh, we are uh, very happy now to head on out to the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline in Las Vegas, Circuit Resort and Casino, home of the world's largest sports book. Uh, the new CEO of the USGA, Mike Juan, joins us. Good morning, Mike. Hey Barry. Hey Mike. How you guys doing today? Good morning, Mike. Yeah. And it's a real honor to have you. Thank you
3: very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, Mike, you've taken
4: over there. Uh, what about? Uh, what it's been about a month or so. Yeah. You know, it's official on July one. If I was being honest with you, I moved here in May, and probably been uh, doing you know the whole Teams and Zoom stuff since March. So it was maybe the longest transition in golf leadership <laughs> history. So I'm glad <laughs> we're I'm glad we're official now. Sounds good. Now,
3: Mike, uh, you know, you're a local guy. You grew up in Naperville. So, of course, we, we have solicited some questions uh, from our listeners uh, of this past week. And, of course, now that we have our guy, quote, our guy, you know, it's all about Chicago politics. When are we going to get the U.S. Open back in Chicago? Can you make it happen?
4: Well, forty-six point two seconds. That's how long it took you guys to get to a U.S. <laughs> exactly. You, got to, you, you know what? You
3: gotta go. You gotta go right for the jugular, Mike. I figured. You, I figured you could
4: handle it. <laughs> I did grow up. Uh, I did grow up riding my ten-speed bike, the old Schwinn ten-speed, with my buddy Steve. We would put our bags on the back of our bike, and we would ride out to Springbrook Country Club. I don't know if Springbrook is still there in Naperville. But, I think um, it is. Used yes. Kind of used to be kind of out in the middle of the cornfields, and so we would. Uh, it wasn't a close bike ride, but we would bike out there for literally for the day. We'd play until one fifteen until the Cubs leadoff man started, and then we'd go into the pro shop to watch the Cubs, and then uh, bike back in the afternoon. It was, those were, those are those are good growing up days. That's for sure. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, so so will it be uh, Medina twenty uh, twenty nine or uh, no? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah uh, um uh so so mike uh what what a what a, tra- what, a uh, what a what a life journey for you um we'll talk about some of the other stuff too but i just want to talk i'm always interested in in your evolution uh growing up in naperville you went to miami of ohio and your first job out of uh out of college is is in the oral care marketing department of, at procter and gamble so um, and, and that prepared you to be CEO of uh, of the USGA. It's quite quite remarkable the the what what, it, what happened.
4: Yeah, if we want to have a conversation about tartar control and gum health, I'm just as comfortable as talking. <laughs> uh, golf. Yeah, I, I pretty much figured that golf was a uh, you know golf was my fun pastime, not my you know not my office. So uh, you know I did the kind of the classical marketing, Procter and Gamble start. And I remember one time talking to a recruiter. He had had a job he wanted me to go take, and I said no to the job. And he he was kind of trying to push me to go take this job. And and in the midst of finally realizing I wasn't going to do it, he just started asking me questions. You know, what, what do you do when you're when you're not working? Where do you find peace? Um, you know, where, what do your families do when they when they go on vacation? I realized every answer I was giving him was golf related. So where do I go when I'm not when I'm not working? I golf. You know, where do I go to find peace? I hit balls. My parents and I've taken golf resort vacations. We, um, we're we not a typical family. We didn't have, you know, these big Sunday dinners or, you know, a chat after church. All of the conversations in the Juan family always happen on a golf course. I mean, I learned things about our family, good and bad. I got the birds and bees speech on the bleachers behind the ninth green at the Springbrook Country <laughs> Club. So um, it was, uh, golf's, a, golf's a strange strange uh, part of our life. It's more of a religion than a sport. So uh, yeah, I got an opportunity to go work at Wilson. Wilson took me back to Chicago and then from Wilson, made And, you know, the whole thing kind of has led, yeah. you know, 30 years later has led to here. That's
2: uh, that's kind of the old adage, right? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And uh, it sounds like you're you're living that out now.
4: Yeah, it's funny. I uh, remember when I left Procter & Gamble, the CEO at the time of P&G said, golf's not something you, you work at. Golf's something you do when you're not working. And I remember as soon as he said it, I thought, you know what, that's exactly why I got to go. I mean, I don't. I don't, always want to, um, I don't always want to come to a job so that I can look forward to the time when I can get away from the job. But, and now the same thing. I mean, most of my days are spent on a golf course. And if you could have told me that back when I was riding my 10-speed to Springbrook, I would have been a lot more comfortable about the future.
3: And, and the other thing on your resume, Mike, that sort of uh, threw me was you became CEO of Mission Hockey. You were, at, uh, you were a VP of marketing at TaylorMade, and then all of a sudden you went to Mission Hockey. I suppose that was because you had the CEO uh, job.
4: Yeah, I mean, a t- couple of things. I mean, this will tell you how, you know, how clueless I am. So I, I came back from a board meeting. Adidas bought a uh, tailor-made in uh, the middle right. of my run, and it was really a great experience. And Adidas was I was not only flush with cash, but they felt like an underdog. And we were number two at the time to this new company called Callaway, which dates me. But, um, okay. and, uh, you know, the Adidas' run was unbelievable. I came back from a board meeting in Germany, and I remember saying to my wife, I think it's time for me to go. The learning curve's kind of flattening out. And um, Adidas had just uh, had just asked us to grow at kind of high single digits, you know, seven, eight, nine percent a quarter, and we've been growing at like a hundred percent a quarter. But mm. that's probably the right job for somebody else. So I said to my wife, "I think TaylorMade is about as big as it's going to get. So um, I think it's time to leave." When we left, they were about seven hundred fifty million. Mm. I think they're now about a billion and a half. So I only missed that by a hundred percent. But I met a guy who I met a guy who owned the Minnesota Wild um, at, a, at, a, at a dinner, and he had owned an equipment company that wasn't doing well. And at the end of dinner, he's a good, good guy. I mean, just a, turned out to be a great friend in life. He hugged me at the end of dinner and said, "Would you think about coming and working with me? I think we can learn a lot together." And you know, hadn't hugged another man in a long time, and nobody just sort of asked <laughs> me to. Nobody just sort of asked me to do a job like that. It wasn't. Um, he just sort of said, "You know, would you think about? It? I think we could be good together. We could learn a lot." And he was just one of those guys that came in my life at the right time. So, yeah, I, I really went there to try to help him save his equipment company. In the midst of that, we met the guy who owned the, the San Jose Sharks, and he joined in as an owner and. We had a good 10-year run growing a growing a hockey equipment company and, and sold, sold sold it to the number one hockey company uh, back in 2008, and, and at the time, living in California, promised my wife I'd never make her leave California, that I was going to, whatever I did next, I wouldn't travel as much, and obviously, six <laughs> months later, I became the commissioner of the LPGA. We moved to Florida. Exactly, and traveled every exactly,
3: <laughs> and, and, and that was so cool about, you know, you, you le- you're here, you are, and I, I remember when you got hired, I thought, oh, Mission Hockey, he's ahead of that, and um, and now LPGA, that's kind, of, uh, that's kind of a different thing. So, uh, boy, and when you took over the LPGA, Mike, I just remember that. That, that, that pre- previous commissioner, they had some real problems, and they had a lot of dissent among the ranks. And, uh, boy, I thought, boy, whoever takes this job is going to have a hard uh, road to hoe. And, uh, and you took it over, and I'm telling you, that, that folks who don't follow the LPGA, um, it really is, uh, you know, you, you took it over and made it, made it great, really.
4: Yeah, it was it was um, it was it was struggling a bit. I mean, there was there was a few issues, but what I've, I've in in business, I always believe in you know honesty is the hardest thing to get. I mean, everybody will everyone will tell you that things either aren't wrong or a really bad decision was just because of market dynamics. I mean, just coming clean is the first step. And when I walked into the board of the LPGA during the interview process, they were so honest about the challenges that they had and and you know the things they couldn't really figure out and it um you know honesty attracts me and it, and it was i remember saying to my wife i mean these guys really understand the problems they're facing they don't know what to do about them but they really understand and that's you know that's usually the hardest thing to get out of a board of directors sometime and it's, it was it was so um it was so refreshing they had uh on their board, eight of the 15 people were actually players. You know, so in a board meeting, half the people had a glove hanging out of their back pocket. And I thought, you know, <laughs> mm. I thought that was refreshing from a sport perspective. I said many times, you know, if Roger Goodell had, you know, had 10 players and 10 owners to report to, the NFL would be a different sport. There wouldn't be unions and lockouts and strikes. Um, because at the LPGA, the, the players have control of the business, you know, so it's, um, Uh, And again, I thought that was exciting. I mean, Julie Inkster, Helen Alfredson, Pat Hurst were all on the board. And and they were the ones, you know, kind of peppering me with questions. So, uh, yeah, it felt like um, if I was being honest with you, back then, I kind of way I explained it to my wife is golf had been so good to me my whole life. I felt like this was my chance to kind of give back. This was a business that needed some help. I felt like I could do it. And um, I knew I could learn in the process. But I kind of thought I was going there to. To help the you know help them and you know 12 years later into you know, just the opposite I mean I, I learned so much more than than I ever taught them and it was a great run put together a, a really strong team and um, yeah you're right I mean now 12 years later the you know I'd, I'd say women's golf about as strong as it's ever been and coolest thing I think about that whole thing is the fastest growing segment of golf in America is girls under 18. I, I never thought we'd be able to say that in the game and so the future of this game is is more female than ever, and the, you know there's only one way this sport was going to grow, and that was going to be let the other half in, and so that's that's really happening at, at, at unbelievable levels at the at the youth ranks.
2: No, and Mike, uh, that's it's it's a great story, and certainly uh, great success that you had there with the LPGA when you went in there, because it really was like you said, there, there's a lot of work to do. I mean, more TV, obviously, more tournaments, uh, but but. It was, it was a difficult uh, road, right? I mean, this was not something that says, oh, we're going to have more tournaments. Oh, we're going to, you know, increase the purses. This is something that you really had to, to put the, the, the blood, sweat, and tears into.
4: Yeah, and I mean, I enjoyed that. I mean, it was... Um it was kind of funny. I've been a part of a lot of businesses that have gone global, whether it's Tailor Made or Crest Space, You know, at, uh, certainly Mission ITech, and going global, taking your brand around the world, is uh, is makes for a great PowerPoint slide in a board meeting. But it's really difficult to actually do in real life. I mean, you spend a lot of time from away from home. You make a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of you know. You're asking a lot of uh, individuals to go live somewhere and be homesick uh and it's really uncomfortable you know to uh, to try to figure out how to take a brand global and the LPJ was sort of right in the beginning stages of it players were coming from all over the world there was now interest from other parts of the country some of the US players and sponsors weren't sure how to you know feel about that the fans in the US you know didn't didn't like that there wasn't you know 8 out of 8 US flags on the top of every leaderboard and so they were kind of in that stage of maybe we should turn back which happens to a lot of brands when they go global it's you try it for a while and you think this isn't so much fun or profitable so they go back but but i had been through enough of those to walk in and say guys this this is going to be uncomfortable for a couple of years but let's imagine the other side i mean today that when I, I think i got there we sold our tv rights to 11 countries and today they sell their tv rights to 190 countries it's you know it's wow. a it's a tour that's literally televised all around the world virtually yeah. every weekend and it just wasn't. It just wasn't that, and we didn't really have great ratings in the U.S. With some of those challenges too. But you know, we quickly became the number two viewed tour here behind the PGA Tour, which gave us TV opportunities. But if you watch the LPGA, I mean, they play in 15 different countries, you know, 22 different states. It's um, it is a truly global brand. There's 40 different countries represented every time they they tee it up. So. I've said this many times every sport is going global they're just going global at different speed I mean basketball's got players from all over the world baseball's got players from all over the world and um there there's a reason why one athletes are coming from all over the world but the but the value of that is unbelievable you can uh, there's a reason why Premier League soccer out of out of England does so well because every mm-hmm. country in the world buys their TV rights so we went from a a tour that was essentially trying to put on tournaments to make money, and you guys know because you're close enough to it. Golf tournaments aren't as profitable as they appear on TV. Right. Exactly. The real profitability mm-hmm. is uh, putting on an event that's interesting enough that the world wants to watch on TV, like like the Olympics that are going on right now. It's you know the the, the engine of the Olympics is worldwide TV, and and the engine of the LPGA is the same.
3: Mike, when you, uh, you you took your LPGA experience into the interview at the USGA, um, you're <laughs> you know you're not a guy with a safari hat walking around on the greens trying to figure out where the holes should be located. You know you're you're just totally off type for the traditional uh, USGA CEO. Um, so I wonder what that interview was like when you went in there to talk to the to the blue coats in uh, in New Jersey.
4: <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, um, but you probably I, did it on Zoom, so whatever. <laughs> I don't know. No, actually, the first meeting was uh, was face to. I actually got a call from Stu Francis, the the current president and head of the, the executive committee Or their board. And um, I remember thinking when I first you know started talking to him that this was this was a joke, right? I mean, it, at the end we were both going to laugh and say because I know him. You know, I, I present a lot to the USGA and different things. I was doing and as commissioner. I knew you know I knew a good chunk of the of both the employees, but uh, I knew a lot of the board members too. Um, but, you know, I had announced that I was leaving the LPGA, and they had announced that they were looking for a head of the USGA. But I don't think either one of us naturally went there for all the reasons you just said. I mean, the USGA has typically been run by 30-year USGA people, and it, it's kind of the way it's always been. Right. And I'm certainly, to your point, I'm I'm certainly not a guy who's, you know, who's who's testing the, the water levels of, of a green. Uh, so it's... Uh, it was, it was different. So he just said, Hey, you know, you're going to be at the U S women's open. And, uh, and we were playing it at the you know end of November or I guess it was early December in 2020 because of the, because of the virus in Houston, I was going to be there. They were going to be there. So he said, you know, let's just make it informal. and Maybe you can meet with our selection committee. And I remember saying to him, like, just so we're clear, like, if you bring me in, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to adjust me. Like I'm going to answer questions <laughs> the way I feel like I mm-hmm. answer questions. And he's, and i said the good news is that will probably end this pursuit pretty fast you know because i mean i don't think they're going to like my answers to a lot of questions but just the opposite i mean it, 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 i probably did answer just the way i thought but um, at the end i think both they were more interested and i was more interested i was interested because i like like the lpg they were asking real honest fair questions there's things about the usj they wanted my perspective on and they wanted the difference perspective from an outsider and i was really impressed by the fact that these were things that they were, you know, they were asking questions about and critiquing. I didn't think of the USJ as a group that kind of challenged, you know, how we've always done it. I just assume they just always did it the way they always did it. And uh, so, in, just like the LPGA, their honesty, that you know, their their openness, uh, and and my craziness didn't seem to knock them out of their chairs. So, it, you know, what started as kind of a well, let's just see how it goes, kind of led to this.
2: Talking to Mike Wan, the new CEO of the USGA. And uh, so, Mike, you mentioned what uh, what the challenges were and what you guys did uh, when you were there at the LPGA. So a- as you embark on this journey, what do you see as your, your top one or two items uh, to take care of in terms of uh, growth and globalization, uh, I-, I would guess, are-, are on that list in terms of the USGA?
4: Yeah, I'm mean, i I'm a guy who starts, uh, starts with the foundation. What I mean by foundation is I start with the people and the, and the team. If you, have to, if you get the team right, uh, everything else will take care of itself. So, you know, I'm spending a lot of time in this first month anyway, trying to just assess the different businesses, how we've got the businesses structured out, who we've got in what seat, and, um, you know, and, and making sure that we can build the kind of team. At the end of the day, I mean, I've said this to, and many times in many interviews, um, the usJ is never going to be good if Mike Wan's good. The USGA is only good if, if Mike Wan puts a team in that's, you know, that's gonna that's going to be much better than him. So, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of evaluation. I'm going to every championship for at least a couple of days. Two reasons: one is I want to see all the USGA uh, championships. I've been to a few, but I haven't been to all. And there's uh, there's something about seeing the US you know girls junior amateur uh, or seeing the US senior women's open. They're just they're just uh, different than the, than the regular tournaments on either of their on either of their regular schedules. All the people you know during the summer of the USGA are generally out at events. So if I want to, when I want to meet the team. I've got to go out there and and do that, but um, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you know three big you know three big you know three big question marks. Like I don't know that anybody else could walk in and be sort of as objective as I can be to just say our championships. You know what do we need to do to take those take those to the next level? I think you know players count on the USGA being one of if not the best you know opportunities in their career, whether they're whether they're a junior, whether they're an amateur, whether it's four ball or or the U.S. Open, and I want to make sure that we're going you to know, we we'll continue to push the envelope there. I'm, I'm really always have been impressed with all the things the USGA does that they almost never talk about. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying that USGA's impact on course rating and world handicapping system and agronomy support uh, is, is unbelievable. And I want to dig into that business and just make sure that, one, we can, uh, we can take that to the next level and communicate it and the third, is, uh, the third is the future. I, in, each, in each one of these jobs I've had in, in any business, but certainly in sport, is I really believe that people sit in positions like mine have to be much more focused on the next 100 years than the last 100 years. I think a lot of sports executives kind of spend a lot of their life talking about what happened and how great those things were. But, you know, the future of the games count on us to talk, think a lot more about the future. So. You know we we spend a few million dollars a year in, in course research and water water economy and building a sustainable future for this you know for this sport. I just want to make sure that my kids' kids have the same kind of Springbrook neighborville experience that I did. and I think if uh, if we're not spending our time focusing on that, and you know we could wake up with you know with golf being a different sport. I've said this many times. I like the bowl, but I don't want golf to be bowling. There's a lot of reasons why people wake up every. Christmas morning, and unwrap a new club or uh, get a, you know, get membership to a club or just get a, you know, get a gift card to go play golf. And there's an excitement level that comes with this sport that, you know, we don't want to take for granted. So I think spending probably majority of my time once I'm really in the seat thinking about the next 20, 50 and a hundred years is really where I'll try to, where I'll try to keep my focus. Mike, a lot of people talk about
3: distance and, uh, and maybe uh, should the men's uh pro game the pga tour players the, and maybe even some of these uh some of the yep. uh, college players now that just hit it so far uh should they be should they be playing maybe under a different set of rules or in terms of the golf ball a different ball a tournament ball uh, you know augusta nationals talked about this for years and it's never happened um i know you can't answer that question um, right away but is that something that obviously the usga is going
4: to have to talk about or how does that how does that get resolved yeah, I mean, that, I, I wouldn't say talked about it as a as a uh, as a forward-looking. Ben, ben talking about deep into research. I've, I've probably sat through 30 hours of research results uh, already. I think the bottom line is, you know, in, in any sport, uh, in, in any facet of life. I mean, there's uh, at some point there's got to be a, a total speed limit if you want to kind of keep if you want to kind of keep things from being chaos. Whether you're driving down the highway or hitting a baseball or tennis ball. Uh, or you know how high it is the basketball hoop um, I've said this many times in many interviews you know nobody nobody likes nobody likes a cop and nobody likes being pulled over for speeding but um, but thank goodness we have that otherwise you'd have sort of chaos and the, and the future wouldn't look safe so I feel like one of the responsibilities that the USGA both has to accept and does together with the RNA is making sure that we you know we set boundaries that um, you know that can protect us long term it's funny I sat next to a lot of people on a lot of planes in the last few months and they're like please don't put limits on distance and I think I said to them always you know there's been limits on distance for 60 years right I mean there there are there are already controls in place the only question is are, are those controls good enough will those controls help us into the future so it's not like we're sitting down for the first time saying hey should we I think back to your question there's a lot of ways to kind of skin this cat I mean one would certainly be you know a separate ball or you know a separate rule I'm not sure you know walking in anyway and I got a lot to learn I'm not sure that's either one the only way or two the best way I do love the fact that um, you know everybody in this sport sort of plays by the same rules and the same same equipment right. standards and if we could continue on that it'd be a preference you know if right. you can't you know you can't but it's um it's certainly technically capable to say we can as we have for the, since you know for the last 60 years you know we can have uh, limits and then you know under those limits let innovation go I've said this and I believe this you know the the hundreds of millions of dollars spent every year in in research among equipment companies to figure out innovation and get players excited and and help make this game you know more exciting to play is not something that I want to eliminate. So I'm I'm not a guy who's going to come and throw a wet blanket over all that and say sorry. This is this is as far as we go. And whatever you owned in, in 2021 is going to be as good as it gets in 2031. Um, so we will always want to make sure that we establish some standards let the r&d people go nuts to kind of figure out innovation within those standards but i do feel the responsibility just to make sure that um you know we don't have i mean I, i've been around too many uh, course developers right now that tell me they're building an eighty-six hundred yard golf course right and what that means in terms of space and land and you know water water and, and uh, you know and servicing that land is, is pretty rough so I think we've just got to make sure that we don't, um, like I said, if, if your future is on, if your vision is on the next 50 to 100 years and making sure our kids' kids have a better experience, this is one of the responsibilities at the USGA. We, you know, we, we've got to take serious. Well,
2: and, and Mike, we, we need to let you go while well, we're out of time here. But I, I have to ask, because Barry points this out, you mentioned your origins in Naperville. So football fans will appreciate this. So <laughs> Barry tells me that you were supposed to succeed Sean Payton at uh, Naperville Central as the quarterback of the football team, but then your family moved. Does <laughs> do I have this correct? Yeah, well, at least I think I was
4: supposed to say. I'm not sure <laughs> what the coaches would agree with the USM. Unlike Sean, I was a I was a walk on quarterback at Miami of Ohio, and everyone says to me, "Why didn't you Why didn't you play four years at Miami of Ohio?" I said, "Because they posted the depth chart, and I said, What's that mean?' I said, I was on page two. So I said, you have to turn the page over to see where Mike Juan ranked in quarterbacks.'" But no, Sean is a Sean is a good friend, and we you know we went through kind of Pop Warner, and and I was always one year behind him. So when he was a sophomore, I was a freshman, and vice versa. But my junior year, yeah, we moved to Cincinnati. I kind of lost touch with Sean for a while, and then uh, awesome to see what uh, what he's done. He always had a, a you know a crazy football mind, and it's uh, good for the game that he's still in it. Pop awesome.
3: Warner, I played. I might I even played Pop Warner. Isn't that awesome? So maybe <laughs> I get a job at the USGA someday. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> Well, thank you so much Careful for being with work. us, Careful Mike. It's it's, yeah, exactly. But thanks so much for being with us. It's uh, really an honor for us to have you. We could keep you for another hour, I'm sure, and and keep it interesting. But, uh, you know, such is radio.
4: Well, I appreciate you guys. and I just, just hearing hearing from somebody from Chicago brings back good memories. So hopefully, hopefully, to your point, we'll get there sooner than later and we can play some golf ourselves. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Sounds Mike. Sounds
2: great. Have great a time. great day. Good luck. That is, that is Mike Wan, the new CEO of the USGA. Uh, great stuff there, and we are terribly late for a break, Barry, so we are going to do that now. We're going to talk Western amateur when we come back on The Scorecard, presented by Chicago District Golfer Magazine on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
2: And we are back on The Scorecard, presented by Chicago District Golfer Magazine, with Barry Cronin and Mike Esposito here on 670 The Score. We're here until 8 o'clock talking golf, and Barry, that was a, a wonderful conversation there with Mike Wan, a local native, Naperville to be exact, and uh, the new CEO of the USGA um and really some uh, a fascinating backstory, but really some interesting stuff uh, as he talked about what uh, he sees coming for the USGA.
3: Wow, what a what a personality, huh? Man, sure, man. Oh man, it was like we, he's, we dri- he's driving. He's driving. He's driving down the highway. Get out of the way. So, uh, boy, what a culture change for the USGA. I mean, um, you know, that's a pretty uh, blue coat type, uh, t- you know, tie kind of people you know walking around in their safari hats making making hole locations and and they do a lot of other things but that's the image and um you know there's been a lot of negativity about the usga because some of the course setup up disasters that they've had um in in recent years uh and so um, I, I, you know, like uh, like Mike Wan said, he's he's not going to be the guy setting up the golf courses or doing any of that. He 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 didn't do it with the LPGA. He's not going to do it with the USGA. He's going to designate that uh, give, designate somebody to do that or a committee to do it. Um, whereas, you know, during the uh, U.S. Opens in in the last several years, you would see Mike Davis out there uh, with his stint meter, you know, mm-hmm. figuring out where to put the hole locations and um, you know, over the years the uh the 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 PGA Tour players that played in the US Open just there was a lot of animosity and antipathy between uh between that group and uh and the USGA and I <laughs> just listening to Mike Wan, uh that's not going to happen anymore. That's going to no. change because he's going to listen to those guys and um you know, that doesn't mean that that he's going to make uh, US Open courses uh is is uh, is player friendly as some of the PGA Tour courses are. But, uh, but it does mean that I think there'll be better uh, better relations between uh, the USGA and the, and the players.
2: Yeah, and you know the first uh, few things he said, what? Number one, g- getting a great team around him and he talked about all the uh, success that they had globalizing uh, the LPGA when he was running uh, the LPGA And I, I would expect similar type things here coming in for the USGA and really, uh, he, he, said it several times during that interview, you know, his children's children and making sure the game, you know, 50, a hundred years from now is, uh, is still in a great place. So that's, uh, I mean, it's great. stuff. and like you said, we could have talked to him for an hour and a half and I'm sure it would have never been boring. We would have uh, sprayed doll fields, but obviously in radio, we're limited to how many segments we have, but that guy is, uh, certainly, uh, I think a, uh, a bold choice and a, and a good choice for, for the USGA.
3: Right, Mike, and you know what he said was interesting about uh, there being a speed limit on the on the ball and uh, and equipment, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, with him having been a uh, an executive with uh, with Wilson Golf and with Taylor I mean, he certainly knows the uh, that side of the business. And and you know, you don't want to create rules that are going to des- destroy those businesses um, because uh, people people love getting new products and they love mm-hmm. the, the, the the equipment has helped players. Um, over the years, and it's really made golf more fun and and uh, certainly um, you know when you and I played, we realized that um we don't need to have our ball limited in terms of distance. We need as much distance as we can get. That's the guys who cor- the guys who need to we, you know we need to limit the distance maybe on uh, a guy like Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson and some of these guys who hit it so far off the tee that it makes the uh, the courses that they're playing obsolete. And in a way, we discussed that a little bit when we talked about the Western Amateur being over at Glenview. Glenview's 6800 yards and and they can mm-hmm. put those tees as far back as they want but um uh, you really better grow the rough because it's going to be hard to to hold these these kids down cuz they hit it a mile. Even the juniors the 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 Western Junior that they had over at on Club a couple of weeks ago, I mean uh-huh. those kids hit it a long way. So they're not totally refined golfers. Um, so they uh, they still have to chip and putt, so that's a big part of the game. But um, um, even at the at the D1 college level, you might you might see some uh, some uh, uh, some controls put on them. So it's interesting. So anyway, I mean, I think he's gonna it's gonna be a great time for the USGA because he's unlike these other characters that have been in there. Yep. <laughs> you know these old school guys that are just right. They're just—they're uh, just from another era, and he's not from another era. He's from our era, and it's great.
2: Yeah, no, I—I I couldn't agree with you more. And and sometimes uh, a little dose of change and a big dose of energy uh, is exactly what uh, organizations of any kind need. And and certainly seems like uh, Mike is going to bring that into the USGA. So exciting stuff there. Uh, you mentioned the Glenview Club, Barry. We're gonna. Head there next, although not literally. We're not going there uh, physically. We will be talking about the Glenview Club and the Western Amateur, uh, which is this coming week. Barry and I uh, were there at the Media Day, played in the media round. We're going to talk about the tournament. Lots more on the 119th Western Amateur coming up when we return on The Scorecard, presented by Chicago District Golfer Magazine on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Final segment for us here on the scorecard presented by Chicago district golfer magazine, Minnesota music this week, Barry, we don't do Minnesota music without Prince. That's just a rule. We have to do it. Uh, the 3M championship in Minnesota this (laughs) this week. So Prince, uh, we, we need, we need to have him. Uh, we also want, uh, our listeners to head to the CDGA's website, cdga.org slash contest we want to give you stuff register to win a cdga starter pack you'll get an imperial hat towel and zero friction super tube with spectrum at balls tees and a universal fit glove everything you need to start the season that's cdga.org slash contest we want you to do that because we like giving you stuff and uh we, we're givers that way
3: we are givers we are givers and the cdga are givers so it's uh, it's good
2: Absolutely. Also good is uh, this week's upcoming Western Amateur and uh, lots of exciting stuff going on at the Glenview Club uh, this week. Uh, Pearson Cootie, the defending champ, he'll be there. Uh, Lots of uh, other great golfers. But uh, the nice thing, the cool thing, I think, uh, among other things this year, Barry, is that we can watch. We can watch it on. You. 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 you know, I was about to say we can watch it on TV. Except it's not going to be on actual TV. But we could watch it on just about any other device.
3: Right. We. We say quote TV. Right. Right. So it's kind of like TV. It's exactly. Like TV. Yes.
2: Uh, yes. Uh, thanks to
3: uh, BMW and um, which is, sponsors the BMW Championship, which is conducted by the Western Golf Association, which will be in August out in. Uh, Baltimore, Caves Valley, uh, they're helping to, uh, to sponsor this and, and also Peter Millar, which makes, uh, clothing, golf clothes, a lot of golf clothing mm-hmm. to make. So yeah, it's going to, they're going to live stream it on, um uh, on golfchannel.com and, uh, also their website, the thewesternamateur.com. And, uh, there's going to be replays on the Peacock streaming service and golfpass.com. So if you got all that straight, uh, Good luck.
2: I, I do um, well, and, and you know what? I have I have found Barry uh, as uh, as my kids have gotten older is they don't actually watch TV. They watch their no. devices. They watch their videos on their devices. They watch whatever TikTok is doing these days. And I am the wrong guy to talk about any of this, but they'll know exactly <laughs> what this means. That is the right age group to have. Uh, you know the the uh, the younger generation uh, will be able to find this pretty easily, and I think you and I can can manage to find GolfChannel.com, right? I mean, I think we can. Do I
3: think that. we I think we could. I I kid, you know. I, I, See, I, we're a lot more we're a lot more hip than we're giving ourselves credit for. That's true. Well, I don't know about maybe, that. but anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, listen, they're gonna they're gonna um, do this on July 30th and Saturday, July 31st. So that'll be the Sweet 16 match play element of the competition. So what happens is the Western Amateur is like a great tournament. It's so such a it is to me the best amateur tournament in the world. Um, They have uh, 72 holes of stroke play, and then they cut it to the Sweet 16 for match play. So that by the end of the whole thing, (laughs) the final two guys, if they can actually stand up and walk around, uh, have played uh about 144 or more holes of golf within about five days <laughs> and that doesn't count the practice rounds right um so it is really a, it's an endurance test and uh and it's a test of quality and there have been some uh, real quality winners and over the years and uh, of course uh, the Sweet 16 lineup uh, that has, uh, that's been in existence since the mid-1950s um, uh, is is really a, a who's who of golf and, and Hall of Famers. So um, it's really uh, quite a field. And, and this year, they're going to have uh, names that maybe some people, you know, if you're kind of a golf nerd, you're watching the Walker Cup on the Golf Channel, um, Ricky Castillo, William Mao from Pepperdine, Lewis ha- uh, Stuart Hagstead, um, and uh, Peter Fountain from North Carolina, Sam Bennett from uh, Texas A and M, they're going to be uh, they're going to be there along with uh, a couple kids uh, whose names I can't pronounce because they're so I, long. But I uh, was going to ask that's, you that's your gig that's your gig because you're the professional broadcaster.
2: I, I, I am just a guy off the street about <laughs> golf. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say some international players. Uh, uh, Bo Jin, uh, that's an easy one. Yuxin Lin, I think, is the other pronunciation from China. Now, right. I, I apologize to any Thai listeners because I'm going to try. But Puit Subasi I think, is the pronunciation right. of, of right. Uh, that guy's name. And, and apologies yeah. to, to our yeah. Thai listeners and to the, the young man. But, but I think, <laughs> you know, I, ga- I gave it a whirl. <laughs> I know,
3: Mike, and I always think when I see names like that, I go, "Well, what would the what would the general managers in in baseball in the nineteen fifties? How would they have uh, uh, changed that name?" I think um, yeah, because you know they would have anglicized all the all the Hispanic sure. players would be, you know, Johan Moncada would be Johnny, you know, Johnny something, you know. Right. And, uh, anyway. I was just
2: uh, yep, no doubt about it. But it's it's, it's, it's a great field. It's uh, international standouts, American standouts. Uh, you mentioned Walker Cup team members uh, playing there. Uh, I mentioned Pearson Cootie, who is the defending champion. Um, but uh, it's it's really uh, uh, a a full uh, a full field a full event. It's a great event. I know you love this, so so. Um, well, I, you I'm know, sure Mark- you'll be yeah.
3: They do a great job of uh, Steve Prioletti, who is kind of he's kind of the on the ground guy mm-hmm. uh, for the tournament. He does a great job of recruiting terrific players, <clears throat> and you know his boss is Vince Pellegrino, and uh, and and Vince is uh, telling him to do this <laughs> to get the best players that you can in the world. And I know it's been a bit of a challenge with the COVID and the travel restrictions, et cetera. but a lot of the foreign players, uh, international players, uh, play golf in the, in the United States in, in college, so a lot of them, I think, stayed here. And they stay here during the summer anyway to play a lot of the top amateur events. Uh, there's a whole uh, elite amateur event schedule that goes on, and it's culminated uh, by the Western amateur and then, of course, the U.S. amateur a couple weeks uh, uh, from, from now. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, and like we talked about the Glenview Club, just an historic club, you know, you yeah. talk about it it's, uh, it's totally under the radar, just like on Wencia, we talked about the Western Junior, uh, Glenview, mm-hmm. totally under the radar. The, uh, they hosted the 1899 Western Amateur and Western Open they're they're located in a little place called golf illinois yep. that's the name of the of the little hamlet where it's located yep uh and uh and now it's uh, it's hosting uh it's hosting the western am this week and uh they've the, the it, it started out as a 5700 yard course and uh but now it's a 6800 over the years it's uh, it's uh, expanded and for for golf course architecture nerds, uh, which there are some in our listening audience, sure. I'm so I'm sort of one. I wouldn't classify myself as is one that some of these guys, you know, if it's not a Seth Raynor design, they won't even play it. But uh, but I I you know this is interesting. Uh, so Tom Bendelow, who who designed uh, all three courses at Medina, was a very prolific Scottish uh, golf course architecture uh, golf course designer, and back in the the day. Uh, uh, laid this out uh, first that he was the first uh, architect there and then in uh, 1913 to 15 Donald Ross and Harry Colt of uh, two huge names in <clears throat> in golf course architecture came in and did it and then the then the ball changed the ball started to go farther and in the 1920s a guy named William Flynn who's a super golf course architect who designed um, Marion uh, the country club at Brookline Cherry Hills and he did the redesign. At Shinnecock Hills, was in there uh, uh, designing and redesigning and expanding um, Glenview Club. So the the club has a, mm-hmm. a tremendous um, architectural pedigree. And um, I think you know, and you, and they welcome you to go out there. They don't charge you. Uh, uh, they don't charge you anything to get in. And uh, if but if and I, I say this every year, boy, you can come out and see the future great players of the world on these great old golf courses. And the nice thing is nobody comes. You, don't, you can't get any fans to come out there. It's crazy. Well, um, so, uh, but maybe this year you never know.
2: Well, and Barry, I could tell you because I was just going to ask you. Uh, we got a text from uh, Mark from Lyle who said, hey, is this open to the public? And what do tickets cost? So you have just answered his question. I bet you Mark from Lyle tuned, uh, turns out at the Glenview Club this week for the Western Am. Because it would be a great place to go visit. It is a great place to go visit, as we found out when we were there on Media Day. I know you've been there before as well. But uh, uh, fans can go there and watch.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, parking is free. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a real cool place to walk around. It's, a, it's a, like if you were going to the park, um, you know, th- this would be a good place to be. But uh, anyway, and, you know, Mike, you and I had a good time out there. We played golf with the I don't know how we got in this in this pairing Mike this was I, quite amazing you know <laughs> yes, I, I mean typically now we got paired with the club president Scott Buell and uh, Cliff Schwander who's kind of the um, uh, who used to work for he was an uh, uh, advertising guy for many years I think he's in charge of the marketing uh, uh-huh. for the for the tournament so so typically we guys like you and me. We don't get to play with the club president. You know, we no. get to play with we get to play with some guy um, who's been at the bar for thirty years. You know, and they said, <laughs> well, right, "Well, we got to pair this pair these guys with somebody. Let's put him." But normally, a guy like Dan Rowan will get paired with the will yeah. get paired with the uh, with the club president because Dan's such a good player and a classy guy yep. and everything. But somehow, we wound up with the club president with Cliff. So we had a good time. It was great we, to see you there.
2: It was great to be there, and I appreciated the invite, and I appreciated Scott carrying me literally uh, throughout the course and uh, keeping <laughs> us competitive because we uh, we had uh, quite a match on our hands. Uh, you guys uh, bested us by a hole, but uh, it was great fun, and it will be great fun this week out there at Glenview Club for the uh, 119th Western Amateur. Another great show this week, my friend. We will chat with you next week. Thank you, Mike. Always great being with you great being with you as well. That's Barry Cronin. I'm Mike Esposito. Thanks to our guests, Ethan Farnham, Chris Green, and the new CEO of the USGA, Mike Wan. Thanks to Adam Studzinski for producing this uh, fine program, as he always does. And thanks to you for listening. And stick around. Early Odds is Next, right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,